Hello, everyone. I'm Paul Menzel. And I'm Jim Conlon. And this is New Tricks for Old Dogs. Our podcast features the many ways us older men and women howl at the moon, odd news items you don't normally hear about, and conversations with other old dogs who are growing bolder, not older. So if you've got 25 minutes or so, grab a cup of coffee, pull up a chair, and join us. In this episode, the old dogs ramble about higher education. Is it all that necessary? We learn about an actor who is still actively acting at age 97. We get the latest musings from our chief aging officer, and Paul tries to stump me with a dictionary quiz. The old dog's conversation is with Paul Rossine, a music educator with too many accomplishments to list, still going strong at 92. Stay with us. All right, Paul. What? Tell me what's on your mind. Well, you know, I read an article in the Houston Chronicle about is a college education becoming obsolete? And it started me thinking about that. What is this brass ring called a <laughs> bachelor's degree yeah. that we uh, keep pushing young people towards? Okay, well, what, did, what do you mean by a brass ring? Well, um, I guess in some ways it's a throwback to my parents urging me to go to college because it was uh, that step up. Yeah. But I think maybe the root cause is high schools. Why is that? Where high schools, um, there's a push for kids to go to college. Okay. As if that is the next stepping stone uh, to get a job, to have a life. And maybe some kids should not be pushed into going to college, that maybe their skills lie elsewhere. Uh huh. Well, I believe you're right that uh, some kids do uh, fare better uh, outside of college, but doesn't that already happen? Don't you think that already happens? Or? I think some schools allow for it, but there is a great deal of prestige attached to how many of your high school graduates oh, go on to college. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, counselors uh, can smell the coffee. <laughs> and so that's what they're pushing kids towards, even if they're marginal students. What it sounds like you're saying is that they are getting C's and B's in subjects in which they don't excel. And they deserve to be urged in the direction of areas they do excel in. Well, no. I think these kids need to be told what their options are. Oh, okay. Uh, And it's not just college. Yeah. Uh, Maybe it's uh, two years of a junior college Uh focusing on a skill. And also there there are some young people that uh, just maybe don't like to learn from a book. Yeah. They would rather work with their hands. That's Mm -hmm. their preference. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. People who milk cows, for example. (laughs) Yes. Okay, so now here's my next question, besides my first question, which was, what's on your mind, Paul? My next question is, what about traditional college education? Do you think it still has value? Good question. I am not sure whether uh, a liberal arts education has value to somebody's career uh, it may make them a more interesting person, yeah. uh, more well-rounded, may develop their interests. Um, but maybe a BA is something that is really a stepping stone to graduate school. It's not an end in itself. Okay. Um, my experience was different. That my BA was valuable to me 
actually in getting the jobs I had. And I feel like the BA that I got has enriched my life, uh, especially when you think about, you know, they call it liberal arts, uh, a liberal education. I think that it has been liberal in the sense that it has broadened my mind so that I am able to have an appreciation for people even if they're not exactly like me. And so you could have pointless discussions like this with another person. I think they're pointful. Oh. They're very pointful. (laughs) Pointful, are they? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It's not unusual for actors to work into their 70s. But if you're an actor approaching 100 and still performing, well, that's unusual. This pod nugget is from the Washington Post for October 19th, 2021. Mike Nussbaum is a working Chicago stage actor at the age of 97. Actors' Equity Association, the union that represents theater actors, claims he is the oldest working member. In a recent interview, he explained why he keeps performing. He said it was still fun for him, and he can still memorize lines. Wow. Although he admits it's getting tougher to move around. Part of the enjoyment of his stage work is interacting with other people, especially younger actors, although he concedes everyone is younger (laughs) these days. He credits his continued success with being part of the theatrical history in Chicago. The people who run theaters know him and they know that he has a lot of fans that will come out to see him. As to when he will retire, he says that will come when people stop hiring him. He laughingly admits that people take a chance casting him because he can't guarantee that he will be alive or able to memorize or even move around, for that matter, for a future play. He continues, I've had a wonderful career. I'm ready to go any time, but I'm also ready to do a show. That a way to howl at the moon, Mike Nussbaum. I'll say. I wish I had his memory. Maybe I could find my car keys. Yeah. There's this guy who's the star of a crime series on TV titled Baptiste. He's an old guy surrounded by young bucks. He's the calm one on the screen. The eye in the storm of youthful impatience and bravado. Baptiste talks slowly and quietly. Plus, he has an irresistible French accent. I like this guy, in part because he kind of represents all old people. Who else but a grandma knows how to calm down a two-year-old's tantrum? Who else but a grandpa is able to cool the jets of his grandson when he drives way too fast? Gerontologists have a term to describe this lowering of the temperature effect older people have on the rest of society. It's called gentling, which means the transmission of affection and care to others. It seems that the maturity we've gathered over the years allows us to step back, take stock of the big picture, and then help resolve a problem without the fuss. Or, if the problem can't be resolved, at least we can point people in an agreeable direction. It's hard to take your eyes off Baptiste's screen character as he wends his way through a mystery, picking up clues, navigating the evidence. The best part is how respectfully he treats everyone, even the suspects. He listens to them, coaxes them, even sympathizes with them. We can't imagine a younger person having the patience to wait for answers. 
I've decided Baptiste is my new role model because I have seen this gentling effect rise up in me from time to time. I know I can do more to encourage it. There's something about sitting back and listening to others, even when we may be tempted to jump in and express ourselves. People often need to be heard, and we're more effective in influencing them if they think they have been heard. It's nice to acquire these little tidbits of anthropologic psychology, isn't it? But what I really want is that French accent. Chances are that you took an online class or two during the pandemic from a MOOC platform to kill the time. But some MOOCs have classier classes than others. This pod nugget is from the Quartz website for June 5th, 2021. MOOC is the acronym for Massive Open Online Course. They're platforms that offer generally free courses on a variety of subjects and are often affiliated with universities. Google MOOC, and you'll find a ton of options for free courses. I like that. Google MOOC. (laughs) Sounds like baby talk, huh? (laughs) One MOOC called Masterclass has a different model than the others. They offer courses taught by celebrities. To access these classes, you pay a subscription fee of $180 a year. You can choose from 114 different classes. Teachers include singer Alicia Keys, best-selling author Amy Tan, comedian Steve Martin, and actress Natalie Portman. Masterclass has been extremely successful during the pandemic. Their success is a combination of celebrity faculty, slick production values, and a bored population looking for an interesting way to kill lockdown time. Class modules run 10 minutes with an average of 20 modules per class. If you don't have an attention span of 10 minutes, you have other problems. Now remember, most MOOCs are totally free, but Masterclass isn't. Hmm. However, the attraction of taking a class from a celebrity may justify the expense. For more information, visit their website at www.masterclass.com. Occasionally, I like to play a game that I call Stump the Older Guy. Yeah, that'd be me, since I predate Paul by a few months. Yeah, some might call that a head start. What? Paul, toilet training? Get on with it. All right, this bit of trivia is from the Quiz Daily website. Jim. Yes. Which of the following four words has the most definitions in the dictionary? Go, run, place... Or home. Wow. Ooh. We're not talking about big words here, Jim. It's not that tough. Can I say yes or no? Then? No, you, you can't. <laughs> oh, you have right. to pick one, and hopefully it'll be humiliating. <laughs> <laughs> Too late. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with run. Oh, that's the correct answer. Of course it is. Ah. No humiliation here. There are 645 ways to use the word run. Previously, the word set was the word with the most uses. Why previously? How did you know that? Well, the, the record was set this year. <laughs> How many ways can you use run? Uh, at least three. <laughs> <laughs> that wouldn't fill a dictionary. Yeah, run that by me again. Paul Rossine has spent a life in the service of music, learning it, playing it, sharing it with others. 
Over many decades, the nature of his work as an educator has led him to inspiring conclusions about the power of music in our lives, and he's still at it at the age of 92. So did you develop your interest for music when you were in high school? Well, that that's interesting. I uh, always was interested in music in bands in high school and, and played around Elgin, Illinois, where I grew up. But I received a scholarship to MIT to be an engineer. Well, my high school graduation day came, and I was given the music award. And I stumbled up to the microphone, and I said, are you sure you got the right guy? And everybody laughed. And I went back to my class, and about 15 minutes into the next class, announcement over the speaker said, Paul Rossine reports to the principal's office immediately. So I was walking back to the principal's office, and those were the days we had no air conditioning. All the rooms were open. Everybody was laughing. Paul, we're going to take it away from you. So I got to the office, and there was a, the chairman of the music department at Illinois State University. And she wanted to know what my plans were. And I said, well, I'm going to be an engineer. Would you consider being a music teacher? No. Well, she said, why don't you come to Illinois State University and see what it's like? Well, I went home, talked to my dad, and dad said, you better follow up on her. So I did, and I went ahead and gave up scholarship, went to Illinois State University as an industrial arts major, but was in all the music classes. Then I found out my real calling. I, I belonged in music. Paul, in particular, your calling involves bells and chimes. When did you first get interested in bells and chimes? Well, I was teaching at Pittsfield, Illinois, and I received an opportunity to accept a professorship at Illinois State University. I said, are you sure you want me? I was a kind of a rebel. Yeah, we want you. I said, okay. So I went ahead and transferred. And while I was there, I was introduced to handbells and uh, fell in love with them. And so I started working with handbells at the university, got it started there and uh, developed the program there. Now, before you uh, became a college professor, you spent a great deal of time in public schools as a music teacher. Are there some challenges to being a music teacher in public schools? <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Remember one time, it was about my second year, and um, I just finished a concert the night before. The next morning, uh, principal called me to the office. He said, superintendent wants to talk to you. I said, all right. I can't do it now because I'm teaching, but I will at the end of the day. Well, he'd like you to come right now. I said, well, tell him that I can't. Well, I got there at the end of the day at 4.30 after I'd finished, and there seated in his office was the entire board. All the school board was there. Uh-oh. Paul, we'd like to talk to you about your concert last night. Yeah? Well, we have a suggestion. Why don't you just play marches? <laughs> you don't like all the, don't like all that fancy stuff in the symphonies you play. I said, "Well, gentlemen, you don't want me. You want somebody else." And I walked out. I started walking down the hallway, and the superintendent came running after me. Paul, come back, come back. I said, "Well, you asked me to raise the musical standards of my community. Let me do it." Well, come back, come back. All right. Well, I got an apology from the secretary of the school board, which was interesting. And I said, well, I, do you understand my, you asked me to teach music, let me do it. All right, okay. They never bothered me again. 
You mentioned earlier that you were a rebel at Illinois State. Um, in what way were you a rebel? Well, probably the best way to answer that particular question is I was always wondering why we had to do something. Why aren't we learning how to teach better? Why don't you give us techniques about boys and girls? Uh, we were given philosophies. We were given all sorts of uh, approaches, but never about the students. And that was one thing that I, I tried to dwell on when I got there as a professor, to make sure that if you're going to be a music teacher of the future, know your students. Could you tell us a little bit more about that know your student? Uh, my curiosity was you're a teacher of teachers in, in yes. college, right? Yes. And so what was your focus in trying to turn these students into good teachers? My focus was always the student comes first. You've got to understand the boys and girls that you have in your band and understand their parents. Try to meet the family if you can. Don't, don't be isolated from their life. You know, I had students from grade four through 12. Think about that. Every other teacher has them for maybe one semester or two semesters. I had them from grade four to 12. I watched them grow up. I knew the family. I got to meet them. Faculty meetings, they would always ask me, what about Jimmy? What do you mean? Well, you know his parents. Well, go be, go be. Well, I don't go. They don't do it. They, did, they didn't do that. I always did. Paul, you play a variety of instruments, or did, uh, including three very different wind instruments of different sizes and embouchure. Do you still play? Oh, yeah. I play in my church orchestra. I play French horn. Mm-hmm. And that's my favorite instrument. But see, as a band director, you had to learn to play everything, everything. So I would play maybe flute for three weeks in the band, and maybe the next week it'd be a clarinet. And then preparing for concerts, I go back to French horn. See, that's another thing. Today's, now I sound like a real old man, but today's <laughs> young people aren't learning all the instruments that way. They know what it looks like. They know how they're supposed to do it but they don't learn to play it. You know, Paul, do you remember the Ted Mack Amateur Hour? Oh, yeah, sure. You could have been on that show. You, <laughs> you could have played 30 instruments at the same time. Well, that would have been fun, wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you live in Florida now, and uh, apparently you are still busy with your church uh, bands and orchestras, but I understand that you also work with Bells and Chimes with Seniors. Yeah, I've started quite a few groups. When my wife and I moved to Florida, we discovered that no one, no one in the whole state was repairing bells or chimes. And I have that mechanical ability because of my engineering. Um, so I started doing this. So I met many teachers all around the state, all the way to Miami, to Jacksonville, all the way up to Pensacola. And uh, many times I would be asked to come to a community can you help us get started? Yeah, I could do that. So my wife and I would pack up and we'd go to a particular community and get them started. I, I enjoyed that very, very much. You are the one that initiated music therapy at ISU. Can How you, do you know all that? Uh, oh, listen, we've got some dirt on you, Paul. We have That's spies. Some, <laughs> detectives. Yeah. Yeah, we well, started music therapy many, many years ago. 
the only school in the state that had the music therapy program for many years. I've, I've always been interested in people. I think you can tell that. And I became a music therapist and then wanted to teach it. So can you tell us a little bit about this uh, expressive therapy? What is involved with music well, therapy? Music therapy really is using music to change behaviors. And if we would get a, a particular situation uh, where a patient was offensive to other people, we would try to calm them down by using calming music. We would either bring a guitar in or an instrument. That's where my ability to play everything really paid off because I could identify with people. And uh, we would try to calm that person down. If we get a person that was very introverted and uh, wouldn't talk very much, we'd try to get them to play an instrument to become more outgoing. It's an interesting study because you work with all kinds of people. Elgin, Illinois has a very famous mental institution. I took my first music lessons from the music teacher of that mental institution. I didn't know until three years after I had been in taking lessons from him, he was an inmate. He was mentally deranged. Nice guy, wonderful person. He taught me most everything I knew, but he was put there because his family wanted him taken care of. So I ended up going back after I became a therapist. He was still there. I said, you remember me? Yeah, you're Rosine. Paul, is there anything in this world that you have not done that you would still like to do? Oh, my. Well, since my wife died, I've been grieving quite a bit. Very difficult the first year. This is the second year now, and I'm starting to get out of it. I think what I'm trying to do is I'm reminiscing about the things I've done in the past, and I've never written a book. But I think what I'm going to do is write a book for future band directors give them some ideas from my experience. Oh, oh, I got another story to tell you. I just thought of it. A runner came up to the band room one day with a message from the principal. We're having a faculty meeting after school today at 4 o'clock. Be there. I had a clarinet sectional at 4 o'clock. I couldn't go, so I went ahead with my sectional. The next day, another runner came up. Report to the principal's office right now. I can't right now. I'm teaching. So I went down at noon. Where were you at nine o'clock? I said, you hired me to teach. Let me teach. Well, he said, I got to talk to you. You didn't come to the meeting last night. I said, no, I didn't. Why? I said, I was doing my job. I was teaching. Well, couldn't you cancel that? You want me to cancel my teaching job? I can't do that. Oh, okay. I never was bothered again. <laughs> do you have any advice for people our age to stay involved in life. What's your suggestion? I'm always told by people how young I look. I don't know if I look young to you guys or not. I'm 92. And I've been around young people my whole life. And I think that's the secret. You have to keep your mind thinking of the future, not the past. When I left Illinois State University, I immediately moved to Florida and everybody around us was old. Everybody wanted to talk about the past. Mm -hmm. I wanted to talk about five years from now. <laughs> My doctor is always amazed. He said, Paul, you have a heart of a 39-year-old. I said, make the rest of me that way. Can't do that. <laughs> See you in six months. I said, promise? <laughs> <laughs> well, Paul, you are the youngest 92-year-old we have ever spoken to. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, great. Nice to know you fellas. Thank you, Keep sir. Like what you've been hearing? How about sharing the joy with your friends? We could always use more listeners. There are more episodes on the way, so stay tuned. Keep howling at the moon, and if you haven't done it yet, be sure to get yourself and your family vaccinated.